Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. You know, over the last couple of months, God's been speaking to me with regards to this whole concept of giving us the privilege and the gift of free will and how free will impacts the choices we make. Not just salvation, which obviously is one of the most important decisions, but also the choices we make on a daily basis that determine who we are as individuals and our character. Can you imagine? God made us in His image and gave us free will. He could have created the universe and said, I just want to have pleasure in all the mountains and the waterfalls and the stars and the sky and all the beauty on earth and in the heavens. Or he could have said, I just want a big zoo with a variety of animals and plants and uh, insects and all these things that I can enjoy for myself day in and day out. But that's not what he did, did he? He created us in his image. And he gave us free will. And why did he give us free will? Because he didn't want puppets. He didn't want robots. He wanted people who made a choice that we could own our decision and our choice to love him freely. He didn't want us to just go down his list of requirements and follow the rules. He wanted us to understand that he loves us enough that he's going to give us that freedom to choose. But think about this. With that freedom to choose, that free will that God gives us, there's also responsibility. And there's also risks that go with every choice we make, day in and day out. So I was trying to think of a good example. And I think all of us have at least been teenagers or we have uh, uh, had teenagers in our household. But one of the greatest steps of freedom that a teenager can have is when they get their first vehicle, right? Their first car, whatever it may be. Now think about this. In the short run as a parent, you probably say, yes, they have their driver's license and they have now a vehicle to drive because now I don't have to be the family taxi driver. I can now have them go get those last minute groceries for dinner. And I can also have them get a part-time job So they can start paying for their own incidentals, their own gas, and some of those other things, right? That all sounds great. But can you imagine, what if you gave them that freedom with their first car, the freedom that comes with the car, because it's not all just about the car, and you decided, go, go have your freedom. But you didn't give them any driving instruction. You didn't give them any experience. You didn't give any any, any, uh, mentors or experts on how to drive you could surround them with. You didn't give them any tools, resources, and manuals that what do you do with this freedom when you have the car? Then what do you do as a parent? You sit biting your fingernails in your your house while you give them this freedom of the car. It's It's not just about you being concerned about their driving skills or the danger that they may bring to themselves or to someone else, but also what goes through your mind. Where are they going with that car? Who are they going with with that car? And when are they going to be home with that car? There are some pretty important decisions that go with the freedom of having a vehicle. And God has that same gift of freedom that He gives us. And we as adults have to make some of those same choices. 
and have to make some, have those same responsibilities and same risks in our own life. So God not only provides the gift of this free will, but he also provides all that we need in order to make the right choices. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. In Hebrews 13.21 it says, May the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him. I think we'll all agree that the most important choice that we're going to make is that we are not, when we acknowledge that we're sinners and that we accept him as our, our Lord and Savior. And many times, that's where we start thinking differently. We say, wow, look what God's done to my life and for me. So we start making choices differently in our own lives as well. But the Word says that we have the responsibility to make those choices. With that free will comes our decision and our choices that will shape and impact not just the relationship we have with Jesus, but with ourselves and with others as well. So today I want to talk about this concept of choosing wisely. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you give us your word, you give us the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, and we are blessed, Lord God, to be part of the Praise Center family where we get good teaching, but more importantly, we get great fellowship. As Angela mentioned, Lord God, we have people that will hold us accountable. We have people that will share their lives. We have people that are willing to be part of who we are, and they're willing to help shape and mold us so we can become godly and that we can make the right choices for the right reasons. We ask that you continue to open our eyes and plant the seeds in our hearts as we share this morning and think about what you do to help us to make those decisions and how to make those choices, Lord God, so that we, Lord God, can become more like you and have your character within us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. So a couple of weeks ago, I had a friend that I have worked with for over 15 years when I was working during my career. And uh, we had an opportunity to do all the Wenatchee things. Uh, we went golfing, we went fishing, but more importantly, we spent hours and hours sitting on our back porch just sharing some of the life experiences that we had over those 15 years where we worked together. We knew each other for about 20 years, but literally worked together day in and day out for 15 of those years. Well, back in about 1997, I guess it was, we had been in Portland, and I had been asked to take over a large operation, about 350 employees, and he had he worked for me before, and so I brought him in because I felt like he was really going to be important as, as we do something for this particular office. This particular office hadn't, had been struggling with customer experience for quite some time, and in fact, they were the worst in the company. Let's just be blunt, okay? And so one of the things that I felt like when I went into that office is that it's amazing how people's attitudes and how the culture can be permeated by a lack of success and people feeling hopelessness and people feeling like they're not being given the tools and the resources to do their job and the people aren't listening to them. All the things that weigh us down day in and day out were happening in this particular office. And so my friend and I, when we got there, we realized that we were going to take on this challenge of changing the culture of that office, believing that if the attitudes and the environment changed, then the results would follow. We focused on building relationships with the leaders and then all levels of employees. 
We intensified communications to provide the tools and resources and the training that oftentimes was just focused on giving them confidence, giving them the opportunity to take ownership over what they do, and giving them some hope in the midst of a very, very challenging situation. And I used to, and uh, my friend Mark, used to be able to uh, just uh, recite my little speech over and over again because he heard it so many times sitting in these meetings. But I do this really short presentation over and over and over till I sounded like a broken record to large groups of employees, small groups of employees, anybody that would listen to me, I would bring it to their attention. And now we're going to start with, if I can, get the first slide up there. And I used to say the first thing was that you need to change our thoughts. You know, we need to start with a new way of thinking, but we can't stop there. We need to change our actions so they reflect those new thoughts, but we can't stop there. We have to change those actions so many times, repeatedly, day in and day out, until they become habits in our lives. And then once you've developed those good habits in your life, that's what's going to shape your character. And our character is ultimately which determines our destiny. Whether it's individually, whether it's in this corporate setting, or whether it's in our godly Christian lives. Our destiny, our purpose, our calling in our life that God places in our heart. That's what He wants us to be. So we never gave up on communicating the message. Understanding that it required perseverance. You couldn't just do it one time and go rah-rah and send everybody home. You couldn't send them back to their desk to answer phones when they're being overwhelmed by these types of things. But if you desire to change the culture, the personality and character of not only individuals, but an entire organization, you can never give up. You have to continuously repeat what you meant. And it's amazing how if you give people a purpose and a hope that they can do anything. In this particular case, great outcome. In 18 months, this office took their customer experience results from the worst in the company to the best in the company. The people didn't change, just their attitudes changed, their thoughts changed, their habits changed. So what I want to talk about is this principle of change and how God uses His Word as a blueprint for us to be able to learn how to have new thoughts and how to change our actions and how to change our habits so that we can fulfill the purpose and destiny that He has for us. So I want us to start by changing our thoughts. And I'm going to use a couple of uh, scriptures as the premise, but then I'm going to bounce around a little bit throughout the Word. So if you have your, your electronic Bible or something around you, we'll have most of the scriptures up on the screen. But I want to start with a familiar scripture in James 1, 2 through 4, which says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. But I want to focus on verse 4, this last one here. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I want to focus on that part. He wants us to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's what God has for you. He doesn't want you to be worried about the daily activities and the choices you make. He wants you to be mature and complete. And then if we go to the second scripture there where it says, Romans 4, uh, 5, 3, and 4, where it says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because, what? 
We know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. That's what we all want is hope. We want hope in our lives. We want hope in our families. We want hope for the church. We want the hope for our community, hope for this nation. Well, you may think that the hundreds of choices that you make on a daily basis, weekly basis, or over a lifetime may seem insignificant on some ends of the spectrum, challenging or overwhelming on the other end of the spectrum. Sometimes we don't see the connection between those daily choices and our faith. We have a tendency to separate our faith from all those little choices that we make day in and day out. And I believe God wants us to see them all as one. Our character, destiny, and hope are a reflection of choosing wisely and underlying God's grace. So I'm going to talk about three different aspects of what I believe the Bible's telling us about how to go through this process of making good choices, godly choices, and choosing wisely. The first one, next slide, is I had to come up with these three P's, and I'm not going to reference them because that wasn't the point, but I thought it was pretty cool it came up with three P's, so we'll go with that. So the first one is prepare. Best choices are made when we are prepared before they happen. Think about it. I'm going to dive into that one here in a second. Second is prove. Best choices are made when facts precede feelings. And the third one, persevere. Best choices are made when we never give up. So let's take a a couple of minutes, and I want to just dive into this whole idea of best choices are made when you're prepared before they happen. And I want to use a couple of biblical individuals to kind of illustrate uh, my point here. So I'm going to go dive into the lives of Joseph and David, two pretty important people in the Bible. So Joseph was a young man that spent most of his life preparing, preparing for choices he would face later on in life. While at age 17, telling his brothers and father that he would one day rule over them probably wasn't the choice that most of us would have made, okay? But it did set him on a path of dealing with a series of choices and hardships and experiences that would put him in a position that would impact the entire country of Egypt and later on eventually bring his father and his brothers to Egypt, starting the nation of Israel. That's pretty big stuff. Joseph grew in his skills to manage manage Potiphar's house, if you recall, when he was brought into uh, Potiphar's house. And his choices were rewarded. And then when he was faced with a proposition by Potiphar's wife, he made the choice not to sin, even though he went to prison after being falsely accused. He continued to make daily choices. We're not talking about one choice that changed his life. These are decisions he made in prison. These are decisions he made in Potiphar's house. These are decisions he made to follow what God was doing in his life. He was able to interpret dreams, and he gave God all of the glory. All of these choices eventually put him in a place of being in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Realize this. He was only 30 years old when he was put in charge of the entire country. Joseph sought guidance from God throughout his young life regarding daily choices in the midst of the trials and these hardships. He trusted God. There was, he trusted that God was teaching and preparing him for greater things in his life. So similarly, let's go to David. 
you realize it was 20 years from when David was anointed king to when he was appointed king. How many of you would wait 20 years for a promotion? <laughs> After he said, you're going to be promoted. We just don't know when. <laughs> 20 years later, you get that promotion. That's what I call patience. <laughs> After the Lord rejects Saul as the king of Israel, he sends Samuel to find a new king. We all know a little bit about the story, and I'm going to do it briefly here. And when he came to Jesse's house, each of the sons were considered. Even though Samuel thought each son was qualified, the Lord said, I do not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Later, Saul was being tormented, and one of his servants told him that he would find a heart player to make him feel better. Guess what's coming? The servant just happened to have heard David play the harp, and he recommended him. But he said not just he was a good harp player, he also described him as a brave man and a warrior. He said that he speaks well as a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. David's character was already preceding him. The servant and others already knew what was in David's heart and who he was as an individual. And as we know, David spent his early years keeping his father's sheep in the wilderness, where he did what? He killed a lion, he killed a bear, and he spent hours and hours with the Lord. His preparation early on in his life allowed him to be prepared for those later choices when he was fighting Goliath, running from King Saul, and battling surrounding, surrounded, uh, surrounding armies. Again, just like Joseph, he was only 30, 30 years old when he was appointed king of Israel. And he'd been prepared for the tough decisions that he would face before they actually happened. That allowed him to make better choices later in life. This next scripture, on, uh, next slide. It's, our goal, it says in James 1.4, is to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I mentioned that. But in Hebrews 5, it gives you the reverse of that. It says those that don't seem to be maturing are called out when it says anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Constant training is what we mean by changing our thoughts and changing our actions, turning into habits, creating our character, ultimately fulfilling God's purpose and calling for our life. Being a willing learner and preparing our heart and mind for these potential choices that we're going to be making later on in life. God provides His Word as a blueprint for us to understand how to make those choices. Free will is given to us by God as a privilege. It's given to us even though it's not always easy. But it's critical that we choose wisely. I learned early on in my uh, walk with the Lord to play the what-if game. Or played the what-if game. I, th I would say to myself, tough questions, things ahead. So I, I say like, what if a woman at work or otherwise asked to talk to me in private and or to talk to me after work in, a, in another place? What decision would I make? 
What if my friends, family, co-workers asked me to go out partying that night? What if I saw something that I really wanted and the only way I could purchase it was on credit, but I already knew my financial situation and I was in debt? What if my kids came home drunk on drugs, in trouble with the law? What decision would I make and how would I react? What would happen if I was falsely accused and how would I react in that situation? I realized that I wasn't strong enough to make those type of weighty decisions in the moment. I needed to have already thought those out. I already needed to have talked to my spouse. I needed to have talked to someone, a, a fellow believer. I needed to read the Bible. I needed to pray about it. I needed to know exactly what to do if any of those potential scenarios happen in my life. Those are pretty devastating and life-changing issues. But at the same time, the same thing goes with our day-to-day -day choices. You think about, okay, how do I, I have to make a decision with regards to how do I do about my, uh, my uh, decision to uh, maintain my car, what, did, what I spend my time doing, all of those type of things that affect our day-to-day -day walk with, with him as well. I wanted to make sure that I was already prepared and not have to depend upon my flesh. The more we're prepared today, the better our choices will be tomorrow. So as the parent of uh, three grown adults at this point in time, um, Corey and I uh, obviously had to make some tough decisions with our kids. And um, one of the primary foundational blocks that we agreed upon as we were raising our children was that character was the most important lesson we could teach our kids. Yes, there's a lot of other things in life that are important to allow them to be productive in society and allow them to have good careers and allow them to be healthy and strong and all that, but their character was the most important thing. I shared this story briefly with uh, some Praise Center men at a men's retreat a couple of years ago, but it's, it bears worth repeating. Um, there was a, a uh, time about 10 years ago uh, when my son, uh, who happened to have been on the uh, high school football team and was recognized as being one of their top players, and, and he had got to the point where he was a pretty exciting player to watch and such, so he was kind of the big man on campus, if you want to call it that, at a small Christian school. And one night, I'm on, the, in the, on my way to the airport, as frequently happen, for a business trip. And I get this call from Corey, and she says that, um, do you know where our son is? Do you know where Travis is? And I said, uh, no, he's supposed to be at football practice. And she said, well, I just got a call from the coach and said, Travis isn't at football practice. And so I said, okay, well, let me call him and see if I can get a hold of him. So I call him, and I said, Travis, where are you? Coach says you're not at football practice. He said, well, there was this single event at a local amusement park just that night that a bunch of the kids at the school wanted to go to so he decided it was early in the week and it wasn't that critical that he be at football practice because he knew everything he needed to know in order to play on the game that uh, upcoming weekend and so I told him first of all <laughs> that he needed to return home and that when I got to the other end of my destination after my flight, that I would call him and we'd have a conversation. So as I got on that plane, you can just imagine 
the choices that are flooding through your head. And what I decided to do was break down those choices to try to teach my son some character lessons through that process. And I still have this tattered notes from the airplane flight over 10 years ago that I carry around in my portfolio because it was that important and life-changing for me as a parent as well as him as a young man growing up understanding what character is all about. Under the area, I said I broke it up into three areas. Selfish, who your decision impacts, and then what the issues are when you make those kinds of choices. Some of the selfishness. Why would you do this when it impacts your teammates, your coaches who've been working hard all spring, summer, and fall? Why would you do this when it's a key game and it affects your season record? Why would you do this if you're a leader and trying to set an example for the young players on the team? Why would you do this when you're recognized as one of the leaders in the county and people reading about you in the paper? I mean, all of these things that are going through my head where he's thinking myopically, this is me and my decision, it affects so many other people. It affects the coaches, the school administration, the parents and sisters and friends and grandparents and uncles and co-workers and all of these people that have talked about and want to know what's going on in Travis's life. And then I said, here's some of the issues, Travis. One incident can impact your life. How you deal with it is more important than the incident itself. Integrity, character, and trust are the most important things you'll have in life. Listen to wisdom from others. Be thankful and grateful for all that you have. Accept authority and have self-control. Don't let your emotions control you. So we had a hard decision. So Corey and I talked about it. We talked with the coach, and we decided it was an important enough decision to, to say that he needed to be suspended for that game that week. So you can imagine Travis's reaction, but we also told him that he needed to not only not play in the game, but he needed to be on the sidelines, in street clothes, supporting his teammates. So he knew exactly what was going on. So you can imagine it was one of the toughest decisions and the impact and weight of that decision that that had on Corey and me. We could have easily just said, okay, we're going to ground you for a month. We could have done all those things. That wasn't what was going to change his actions and his thoughts. And so what we decided to do after suspending him, we decided to go to the game. It was in a town about 40 miles away. And so it wasn't just a local town. It was where people had to drive to get to and such. And we decided that uh, we didn't really feel like sitting in our normal seats with the rest of the parents. <laughs> and so we sat in a less uh, sparsely used area. And there by ourselves, we're sitting there uh, watching the game. And uh, we noticed that we're kind of all by ourselves. And this man comes up behind us and sits literally right over our shoulder. And he has a newspaper in his hand. And of all things, he said, do you know where number one is? He said, I just read in the local paper that one of the top county football players was going to be playing in our city, and I wanted to come and watch him play. We didn't tell him it was our son, okay? <laughs> we just told him that we knew what had happened, knew that he was suspended, because he broke the team rules and that he needed to learn from this experience. 
And this man affirmed our decision and the coach's decision and said, the parents and the coaches made the right decision, that this is going to impact this young man's life. We appreciated what he said, but we kind of turned around and started focused on the game again at that point. And literally, whether you call it seconds, a minute or two, we happened to look behind us and he was gone. He wasn't there. Now, Corey and I would like to think that God sent us an angel that night to teach us as parents Preparing for the right decisions ahead of time will make a difference for a lifetime in somebody else's life. And whether it was an angel or not, I believe in my heart that God prepared us to make that decision ahead of time so we weren't making that choice based on our feelings at that moment. We were making it based on being prepared by what God had placed in our hearts. The next principle, besides being prepared, sometimes we don't allow the facts to precede our feelings. You know, I mentioned earlier, decisions we all may make when we're young or even when we're older, out of the heat of the moment, out of circumstances beyond our control, whatever it might be, that things like drunkenness, drugs, felonies, those kind of things impact our jobs for the rest of our life. Those things impact how we interact with other people and things that we do, our earning income, those kind of things. So to make decisions based on facts, if we knew, and hopefully we all know, that by getting into a situation where there's infidelity or even the appearance of infidelity, that's going to break relationships. That's pretty obvious. If you make decisions and choices that are going to impact you down the road, then we need to understand that we, God allows us and gives us the strength to make decisions and choices based on facts rather than those feelings. How many times do we make choices based on the feelings rather than the facts? So why do we allow our feelings to get ahead of our facts when we're making those daily decisions? So let me return to this whole idea, this privilege of free will and our, and our freedom to choose. Because God doesn't want us to be robots, remember? He wants us to worship him, but he wants us to have a personal relationship with him. The problem is that our flesh is weak. It's tough. It's really tough. The next slide in James, it says, in James 1, 13 through 15, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown, gives birth to death. It's a battle for our choices and our soul. 
as it says in Ephesians 6.12, for our struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's all real. We have a battle that we fight day in and day out when we're trying to make those choices. The challenge is our flesh doesn't want to submit to the facts. And the enemy does not, doesn't even want us to consider the facts. When we allow our feelings to listen to our flesh or the enemy, we're oftentimes ignoring the facts and the Holy Spirit. It's a constant and real battle to choose wisely based on facts rather than feelings. But God doesn't leave us alone. In 2 Corinthians 3.10, it says, The weapons we fight are not of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. He gives us the weapons to fight back, to fight the enemy and to fight the flesh. So I want to go back to our story about uh, David and Joseph, reflecting back on their lives, and how did they do with regards to putting facts before feelings? You know, Joseph had a vision from God about being the ruler over much early in his life. And while the circumstances didn't always seem to align with his vision, he trusted God and his evidence continued to show God's faithfulness. Day in and day out with those choices, God was faithful and he rewarded him. He was given the gift of interpreting dreams. And everywhere he went, whether he was in prison or whether he was in Potiphar's house, his choices were aligned with God's calling on his life and the man God called him to be, that destiny, that calling, that purpose, that completeness, lacking nothing, as the Scripture says. And I'm sure, even though he was given favor by God, that the devil was in the middle of his decision when he had to decide what to do with the encounter with Potiphar's wife. You can just imagine the battle that's going on as mine. And then also when his brothers came, these are the brothers that threw him in the pit. These are the brothers that send him off to slavery. And they come back needing him. He could have let his feelings get ahead of, his, of the facts, but he let the facts speak for themselves. Then we go to David. And let's look at the evidence that was in his life of making the right decision to fight Goliath under insurmountable odds. The evidence was that he had killed a bear and a lion, right? That was evidence. That was fact. And God had protected him and his father's sheep as a young boy. The facts told him to trust God would not use him, that God would trust him to take down this giant Philistine. I can just imagine if any of us were there we would have allowed our feelings to get ahead of the facts when you have a giant Philistine there to fight. How about later? David was in a cave, if you recall this story, and he had the opportunity to kill King Saul, who'd been pursuing him relentless, relentlessly, trying to kill him. But what did he do? He just cut off a corner of his robe. And then even that, David later regretted even cutting a part of his robe. And he said, the Lord forbid I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. So again, 
David let the facts precede his feelings. Otherwise, he would have killed King Saul because he had the opportunity. But we also know where David didn't allow the facts to precede the feelings. The choice that he made with his infidelity with Bathsheba and then sending her husband onto the battlefield to be killed. And this is one example of allowing feelings to get ahead of the facts when you're making your daily choices. In our own lives, uh, it's easy to allow our feelings to precede the facts, which is why we need spiritual weapons and a life of having the right thoughts, the right actions, and habits in everything that we do. I was trying to think of some examples in my own mind that I have to deal with daily. Some of the things that you're not always proud of, but you believe you're making the right choices if you think these things through ahead of time. Have you ever found yourself judging others based on limited information, but then when you get all the facts, you realize you were incorrect in your preconception of that individual? I mentioned it earlier, but have you ever had this urge to go buy something, but then the facts are that you're already in debt? You already have a financial habit of not being able to manage those expenses. And so you let the feelings get in front of the facts. Or how about, there's a good one. Like I do this all the time. How often do we exaggerate in our own mind how long our to-do list is or how long it's going to take to do each of the items on the to-do list? So what do we do? Nothing! <laughs> okay. Your feelings get ahead of the facts. A lot of times, if you just start doing things on your to-do list, they're done, or half of them are done, before you even had a chance to worry about it. <laughs> in order to be mature and complete, not lacking anything, like God says in James 1, He will give us the strength to put facts before feelings. I'm going to go over the last principle here so we'll have the worship team come up and finish this up here. I'm going to go back to the, uh, the first couple of scriptures, though, before I, I wrap it up here on the last one and put those back up there and just reiterate them one last time so they're fresh in our mind as we go through the conclusion here. I'm going to focus on the fourth verse of James 1, where it's, or, yeah, James 1, where it says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking, not lacking anything. That's where we're trying to get to. When I talk about the thoughts, habits, or thoughts, actions, habits, character, destiny, the calling or purpose, that's not lacking anything. That's where he wants us to be. And in Romans 5, 3, and 4, where it says, we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. We all desire to have that hope, that hope fulfilled. Perseverance never means giving up. So the last part of making or choosing wisely is perseverance. The best choices are when we never give up. Joseph never gave up after being thrown in a pit, sold as a slave, being put in prison, having to face his brothers that started that whole process. 
He never gave up through the entire experience. He was favored by God for his perseverance and eventually was in charge of all of Egypt. Never giving up started the expansion of the people of Israel into a new land rather than starving where they were at. And then David. He started from a humble beginning, watching his father's sheep, and could have continued to do so, but he knew God had greater plans for him. At a young age, he prepared and saw the evidence of God in his life, so he persevered through hardship until he became the greatest king in the history of Israel. God even said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And then later, recall, Jesus came out of the lineage of David. David's perseverance through all of his choices that he made transformed not only his generation, but generations to come up until who we are today. I mentioned the story earlier about Corey and me having to make a difficult choice to suspend our son for that one football game. And we felt that the long-term impact on his character and the choices that he would be making in the future were more important than the short-term consequences. And I'd like to say that was the only difficult choice we ever had to make as a parent, but I would be lying, and that's not a good thing to stand up here and do that. We had to persevere too. You're raising kids, persevere. Never give up. Never give up. Trust God. What he revealed to us was that making a lifetime of good choices can shape your character and ultimately shape who you are in your purpose and calling with God. I, I get the opportunity to, to share this, so I, I, uh, I, I take it almost every time I get a chance to share. And we're so proud of our son now. It's been over 10 years uh, since he graduated. He's been in the Marines for 10 years. He's a staff sergeant. And those times when uh, we didn't know whether he was going to survive high school, the choices that he made, and that lesson that we were hoping to teach him with regards to loyalty, commitment, and putting others first has now, career, it has now turned into a career of living those character traits at the highest level every day in the Marines. He's now in a position where he's recruiting young men and women to grow in those same character traits, to shape and mold them so that we all have the freedoms, the freedoms we have in this country. You never know about the choices you make on a daily basis, the impact it's going to have on the people around you. God wants us to choose wisely. The challenges we face making our daily choices obviously require perseverance. They may not be enjoyable at times, but as we change our thoughts, which lead to changing our actions and becoming habits, we'll notice our character in Christ changes as well. When we move closer to our purpose and calling that God has for our lives, then we move closer to hope. All of this is possible because God chose to, gave us, to give us free will. 
He knew it would be a challenge for us, but he also gave us this blueprint, this wonderful blueprint called the Bible so that we can be prepared, so we can put facts before feelings, and so we can persevere. What a great God we have. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.